The name of the Lord is a strong tower, right? And the righteous run into it and they are safe. Thank God for that. It is well with our souls through Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles down, friends, this morning and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We come to the last chapter in this letter by the Apostle Peter. We're involved in coming to a close on a journey that we've been on these summer Sundays, making our journey through this letter that reminds us that we are called to excellence in exile. We are in exile. Home is not here. We're on our way home. And we are exiles. We don't quite fit in. And we're not supposed to, right? But while we are on our way home and we don't fit in, yet we can make an incredible difference and display the glory of Christ, even though if it is necessary, and the Lord says it is, and it is in his will that for a season, there would be suffering, trial, persecution, and then the glory to come. That's been Peter's theme through this entire letter. And if you were with us last week, if you're not, I hope that you will uh, listen or watch online to Joe's tremendous message. It was a tremendous and powerful message. But he reminded us here of the, the theme. And really the theme verse of the entire book is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're using the Bibles provided there, you'll find that on page 1016. Really the theme for this letter that Paul is writing and actually the, the verse from which I I thought about the title for this series is the last verse of chapter 4, verse 19, where Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Doing good, excellence, even though we suffer in a place that's really not home, and we do that according to the will of God. Excellence in exile. Very clear in the Bible that we as Christians have in this world no abiding, no eternal city, but we seek one which is to come. We seek the city that Abraham was seeking that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing my hometown. How about you? The new Jerusalem. But until that time, we are on this journey and we're doing it together. This is not a solo trek. Never does the Bible think of the journey of a Christian on his or her way home to heaven as a walk alone. But it is a life shared together. It is to be a life shared together. It is a journey, but it really is life on the road together. 
And so I want you to notice as we begin in chapter 5 this morning, Peter is talking to those exiles who who are suffering and going to suffer, and yet they're on their way home. There's no break in his thought as he talks about that we suffer according to the will of God, but we entrust our souls to the Creator while we're doing good. And then immediately, without chapter division, he begins this thought on how we should live this life together on the road. Now, follow along in your Bibles. Verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter began, if you recall, this letter to churches in a region. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 1, you'll notice that he addressed this letter to the churches which were in the Roman province of Asia Minor. They were scattered, he calls them the dispersion, the scattered ones over Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's those churches and Christians that were scattered across Asia Minor, what we would basically refer to as modern day Turkey. Now, he's writing to churches regionally all over that province. But now, at the end of his letter, he changes course to speak to churches individually. Not just the churches collectively, but to churches individually, to the leaders of those congregations, and to the members of those congregations. He is saying, we are making this journey as excellent exiles together. And you are to do this in community. You will need to do this in community for the strength and resources that will be necessary facing persecution and trial. And he gives very specific instructions to the leaders of local churches and to the members of local churches. And brothers and sisters, this is not just a history lesson. What I've read to you is the living, eternal Word of God, right? And so this is instruction just as much for me today and the pastors, leaders of this church as it was then for those churches. And it is a message just as relevant and true to you today as part of this church as it was to those members. 
He's talking about responsibilities. Responsibilities of church leaders and responsibilities of church members. How are we to walk this journey together? Now, first of all, he talks about the responsibility of church leaders. And he begins in verse 1. He says, I exhort, I'm challenging. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, he refers to the leaders of the congregations as elders. The Greek word there is presbyteros. We get our word presbytery or presbyterian. It comes from this. It's, it's, that word is rooted in Jewish life. It's a Greek word, but it's rooted in Jewish life. The people of God from the very earliest days of Israel until this time in Peter's ministry till right now, the role of elders has always been a part of the community of God. It has to do all the way back to the time of Moses when he shared the oversight of the people of Israel with elders. It was carried on in every town and village as they moved into the promised land. Towns, villages would have elders. Then after the exile, the synagogue was the place of worship and the synagogue would have elders. And that term was assimilated into the life of the church. From the very first days of the church in Jerusalem, the apostles were ordaining elders for the various churches, meeting, yes, mostly in houses. And then as the first missionary journeys took place, the apostles went out establishing churches and ordaining elders in every city. Now, elder here has to do with maturity. It doesn't necessarily mean an old man, but it, it does mean maturity in, in spiritual things. It, it, it also has to do with godly character. And the elders, that office of elder, which is clearly discussed in the New Testament requires an elder to have the gifting, the skill of teaching. So that is who Peter is talking to, and that is the New Testament model for the oversight of local congregations. It is in the elders, those who have been called by God. They have been recognized by the congregation. They have lived lives that are worthy of being followed, and they have the ability to handle the Word of God, to teach the Word of God. Now, notice Peter humbly identifies himself with these elders. He does not refer to himself as an apostle over the elders. He says that he is a fellow elder. He feels this responsibility himself. He, he's not just way up in the ivory tower of apostleship. He is down in the mailroom, <laughs> serving with people. He is, we might to change the figure, a player coach. He's in this wonderful, wonderful life of the church. And he exhorts them. Now, 
what's the connection? What's the connection? Why does Peter turn in his mind from talking about persecution in the will of God and being exiles to talking to elders? Why does he do this? Because Peter knows, as he says in verse 19 of chapter 4, judgment is coming. It is going to begin in the house of God. This judgment that is coming will begin in the house of God. This purifying, Peter knows it's just ahead. He's speaking as a prophet. He knows that his time is short. He knows that the pressure and the persecution is going to grow. And he says, elders, get ready. It's going to fall on you. And you must be prepared. And you must prepare the people. For the persecution, the trials that are coming. Now Peter identifies himself in, in two ways. Did you notice this? It's beautiful. He says, I am a fellow elder. I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I am a partaker in the glory that will be revealed. Peter was an eyewitness of the suffering of Christ. He, he saw Jesus suffering. And he has seen Jesus ascended. He has seen Jesus' glory. And it's interesting. He puts together suffering and glory. I am an eyewitness of the suffering of Christ. And I am a partaker in the glory which is coming. Now don't miss the apostle's point. Don't miss what he's saying here, church. He is saying this. Listen carefully. He is saying, for Jesus our master, it was suffering, then glory. For me as a fellow servant with you, for me as a fellow elder, it is suffering, then glory. Peter says, I was an eyewitness of his suffering. He was there in the garden. He was there, yes, in the garden of Caiaphas. Even when he denied the Lord, and though we're not specifically told here, evidently, he says he did see Jesus suffering on the cross. He was an eyewitness of his suffering. And he says, but I'm also a partaker of the glory that is coming. He saw that glory as well. Peter, James, and John saw it. Do you remember when they saw it? On the Mount of Transfiguration when for a moment the glory inherent in Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, that glory came from his body. And Peter, you remember when he saw Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, he turned into a one-man tower of Babel. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Why don't we just build three places here? And the voice came out of the glory. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. Peter had seen that. He remembered that. He knew the glory. He had seen it in Jesus. He was recognizing first my suffering, then the glory to come. He knows that the time of his Exodus is near, and that's the word he uses. The time for him to make his exodus to the homeland is near. 
And so Peter is saying for Jesus and for me and for you elders, it must be first, prepare yourself. It must be first, suffering, and then the glory. And elders, you must prepare the people of God. You must prepare the members of the church to understand that in this world, yes, it is first trial, tribulation. There is suffering, even sometimes persecution. But yet there is already in our hearts the glory that is to come. Help people to prepare themselves. Now the question is, how are elders to do that? How are elders, these leaders of the church, how are they to prepare themselves and the churches for this journey of through persecution to glory? Well, he gives four challenges. He says, I challenge you. And he challenges them in four ways. He challenges them in their ministry, in their manner, in their modeling, and in their motivation. Now, let me give those to you. Notice what he says. He says, leaders, I want to challenge you about your ministry. What's the ministry of an elder? He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, taking the oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, taking the oversight. A few years ago, I listened to a renowned pastor here in the United States say that we need to do away with the word shepherd. We need to do away with the word pastor. We need to do away with the word sheep for having anything to do with the church. It's archaic. It's outmoded. That was said by a very well-known pastor. And I thought when I read that interview, that's pretty arrogant, buddy. But then as I thought about it, I said, that's really pretty scary. You know why? Those are Bible words. Shepherd. Pastor, sheep, those are Bible words. And I said, this man has a low view of Scripture. And I haven't been surprised in recent days to hear that pastor now discrediting the creation account, discrediting other things of the Scriptures because his pride and his low view of Scripture has led him into this error. Friends, I want to tell you something. Listen carefully. In an age when words mean nothing, I want you to know words have meaning. Words mean something, and especially the words of this book. They are inspired. That means they are God-breathed. It means they are God's words. And his words are forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Jesus said not the smallest marks, a jot or a tittle, will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Friends, listen. As never before, we need to be guided by words that have meaning. Words that have meaning. 
That's one of the reasons on Wednesday nights I'm leading this study, this class on foundations. And and this week, in our first full week, we're talking about the inspiration of the Bible. What does that mean that we have God's words? Jesus himself used the words shepherd, sheep. He used the word sheep for his people. He used those words. He used the word shepherd for himself. And for those who would serve his people. And so in this moment here, Peter is remembering Jesus' charge. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter when he reinstated him after Peter had denied him? What did he say? Do you love me, Peter? He answered, yes. And Jesus three times said what? Take care of my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Peter is charging the elders then, and he's charging the elders of the churches now by God's word. He is charging us with two responsibilities. The first responsibility is to shepherd the flock. Do you see that in verse 2? He says, you elders, shepherd the flock. That word, the verb form is poimeo. It means to tend the flock, to shepherd. We get our word pastor from that. An elder is to do the work of a pastor. He is to shepherd the flock. It's the idea of of nourishing and providing for the sheep. The elders are to do this. And it's interesting, elders are always in the plural. It is the intention of the Lord that in a church there will be more than one person who is an elder. Helping shepherd the sheep. And the elders are to shepherd the flock. Their second responsibility is to do this, to exercise the oversight. Do you see that? Exercise oversight. The Greek word there comes from the verb episkopos or episkopeo is a verb form. And we get our word episcopal from that. And it's also translated bishop, oversight. So elders are to do the work of pastors by being bishops, by doing the oversight, taking the oversight of the flock. Those words are used interchangeably. But here he says that elders are to shepherd the flock and they are to take the oversight. And you know what that literally means? It means to watch over. It it takes me back to the nativity story. You remember the nativity story? And it so happened that in the fields there were shepherds who were watch. What, what? They were watching over their flocks by night. They were doing the episcopeo. They were watching over the flock. And that is exactly what he says elders are to do. They are to care for God's people. Care for God's people. I tell young men when they're talk to me about ministry or thinking about ministry. They want to know what ministry is. I say it's this. Ministry is the care of souls. That's what it is. Ministry is it's not just a call to preach. Some people wonder if they're called to preach because they think, you know, maybe I could do that. I could get up and preach. You know, I could, I could, I could get the letters to start with a, the, the, same, the words to start with the same letter like Sam does. And, and I could come up with a poem or two. And, you know, I could do that. And, and, you know, that's preaching. And friends, I'll tell you, 
I believe everybody's called to preach who's a Christian, to proclaim the good news. But the call to shepherd, to be an elder, is a call to the care of souls. Yes, teaching. Yes, preaching. But it's the care for the flock. People who want to preach but they don't want to pastor, quite frankly, should do the kingdom a favor and not go into the ministry. What's the manner of a shepherd? What is the manner of a shepherd? <laughs> he challenges about how they are to shepherd. Now notice Peter in verses 2 and 3, he says to the elders, here's three things you're not to do and here's three things you are to do. Three negatives, three positives. He's triple negative and triple positive. Verse 2, he says, number one, you're not to do this with compulsion. You're not, not, to, not under compulsion, but do this with a, a willing heart as God would have you. It's not under compulsion. It means you're not drafted into this calling of being an elder, a pastor, and don't do it because you just have to, but you hate it. No, he says, that's not the motive. I love a commercial on here. Our TVs recently still plays once in a while on WBIR, about straight from the heart. And it's got the man and the wife that have been farmers for ages. You remember them? And one of them, and the man says, farming is in your blood or you just won't do it. <laughs> farming is in your blood or you just won't do it. And it's hard. And it has to be in your blood. And you don't get up every day and say, oh, I wish I was anything but a farmer. That's what he, Peter's talking about. It's for pastors, elders, shepherds. Don't serve out of reluctance. Don't serve out of pressure. But it has to be in your heart. Willingly, it has to be in your heart. Not only to preach and to teach. Yes, that's in your heart. But to also, listen carefully, also to sacrifice your life for people. To give yourself, to pour yourself out for the people of God and to delight in that. That's the ministry. And I want to tell you, if you're called to that and you get involved in that, it is not easy at times, but it is the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. He says, this is to be your manner. Investing your life, giving your life away. That is joy. Do this willingly, not under compulsion. He says, as God would have you. Now, this is a beautiful thing. You can read right over it. He says, as God would have you. Very interesting. It literally says, according to God. Shepherd the people. Care for the flock. Take the oversight with a willing heart. According to God, literally. You know what that means? It's the idea of this. Just like God does. You know, God does not on any day or any moment of time saying, I wish I had another job other than shepherding these people. No. God rejoices over the flock. He rejoices over his people. 
Now I want us to stop there for a moment. You know, it's quite scriptural to stop. Even a word in the Psalms means stop. What's the word, huh? Selah. Selah. You're reading the Psalms, Selah. That means stop. Think, meditate about what we just said. I'd like to just have a Selah moment. Are our hearts aligned with God's heart? Do you find serving people a frustration, a task? Or do you find serving other people a rejoicing and a joy and a privilege in your heart? Do you feel that? Well, how how do we do that? How do we get there, Sam? I'll tell you how. It's a verse that's just been ringing in my mind recently. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it and experience it more in these years than I ever have. It's Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, we want the desires of our heart, don't we? But you know what? I have a selfish heart. And don't look at me like that. You're, no, you're not so hot either, all right? We have, we have selfish hearts. And I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. But when I delight myself in God, when I pursue God as the greatest joy of my heart, He changes my desires so my desires align with His desires. And old selfish, self-centered, self-focused Sam actually does start to think about other people. That is a miracle. But if you delight yourself in God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So that serving others and serving people, you get the joy that's in his heart. The second challenge he gives here about their manner is not for shameful gain. He says, don't do this for shameful gain, you elders. And I love what the King James says, not for filthy lucre. (laughs) I just like to say that. (laughs) Filthy lucre. It means shameful gain. What what does that mean? It it doesn't mean that elders should not receive remuneration for their service. They should. The Bible says the labor is worthy of his hire. And thank you for your faithful generosity that allows us as pastors and staff to be supported in in our service. We're so grateful for that. But there's a danger in the ministry. It is so easy to be in ministry for the money. You, become a, you can become a minister for hire. I read an article this week about the net worth and annual income of some very notable religious leaders in America. Quite frankly, it was troubling. Faithful elders should never be prophets for profit. But they should serve the Lord eagerly. See what he says? Eagerly. That's the positive. That means with zeal for Christ. That the reward is is not the the pay. The, The reward is 
the privilege, the joy, the service. And he says, now elders, as you take the oversight, he knows human temptation. He's been Peter himself for a long time and he knows Peter. He says, do not do this as domineering, domineering over those in your charge. That's interested, those who have been allotted to you. You elders are responsible for the people who have been allotted to you. You're not responsible for the people who have not been allotted to you. But you are responsible for these sheep that have been allotted to you. But as you take the oversight of the flock, he says, do not do it in a domineering way. Do not do it as a dictator. There is a difference, my friends, between leadership and dictatorship. Dictatorship is rooted in pride and power. That's where it's rooted. Dictatorship is rooted in pride and power. Leadership is rooted in ministry, mission, modeling. In the mission and in modeling. And that's the third responsibility of church leaders. They are to model. These elders are to model what they are teaching. He says in verse 3, don't domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. Don't just tell them what to do. Show them. Someone well said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. (laughs) I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Now, it does you some good to hear one now and then. But all of us need to make sure that people can see in our lives. In times of pressure and persecution, the example of leaders, so needed, so powerful, even when they're going through the pinpoint of that persecution and trial. I suppose the greatest words of encouragement that were ever given to me personally Greatest words of encouragement, I think, maybe that were ever given to me, I received in the spring of 2000. Some of you that were here 16 years ago, you remember that time I was very ill. It was a very dark time. I was not able to speak publicly here for a period of about seven months. No teaching, no leading unable to swallow well, then the double and triple vision. It was a hard time. And I want you to know, the hardest thing for me to do, I'm sorry, was to come to church. It was hard for a couple of reasons because, number one, I was seeing two and three of you. Okay, and that's a hard thing to do. I mean, I know I'm just not, no, I'm just But it was hard, you know, the double vision. And then you're there and everybody's asking you, how are you doing, how are you doing, and what can't you do very well? And then on top of that, the church is growing, the attendance up, the offerings are up, and I'm helping all hope folks don't figure this out. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But when I was in one of the darkest moments and I was here, 
a man came up to me and put his hand on me and he said, Sam, I want you to know something. You have never preached more powerfully than you are right now. You've never preached more powerfully than you are right now. And I wasn't preaching verbally at all. And I will tell you, I was not walking it out that well either. But that was like cold water for someone in the desert. I want to tell you something, friends. This isn't my notes. Your words are powerful. Your words are powerful among yourselves. A word of encouragement is a powerful thing. And words of discouragement are a powerful thing. And your words of encouragement are powerful to us who serve here. And words of discouragement are a challenging thing. Your words, words have power. And when he said that, I was so encouraged. A few years later, that brother went through a terrible illness. He was called home to heaven. And I want to tell you, in his illness, he preached so powerfully. And I told him, you remember what you said to me. And I'm telling you, my brother, you are preaching powerfully. By the way you live, you're modeling it. The power of example in difficult times. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It doesn't mean that you're like Christ or you should be followed perfectly at all times, blindly. But it does mean that our responsibility is to follow Christ and be able to say to people, follow me. Finally, I hear a, ch a pastor's challenge is to be a leader that has the right motivation. What's the motivation of a leader? What's the motivation of the shepherd? It's the chief shepherd. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd, you're an under-shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The motivation of the shepherds is the chief shepherd. His appearing, his glory, entering in to share that glory and to receive the crown of glory. And the word crown here, notice, the word crown is not diadem, diademos. It's not diadem. That crown belongs only to Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. But for those who are faithful, there is the Stephanos, the victor's crown, the crown of glory. Lots of crowns in the Bible, but I want you to know the crown is the glory. You understand what I mean by that? It's not you're going to go through heaven saying, my crown's brighter than your crown, my crown's brighter than your No, 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 no. Uh-uh. You're not going to go through heaven having stacked up these crowns and trying to balance them on your head. No. 
the crown is the glory. It's the glory of heaven. It's the glory of the Father's approval and the smile and the well done and the entering into the joy of the Lord forever. That is the crown. That's the crown, the crown of glory, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing. That's the motivation. Several years ago, I was honored, as I often am serving on a mission board, to be present while missionaries have their last sharing of their ministry report before they go into retirement. Well, it's incredible privilege. I, I never feel so humbled as when I listen to missionaries who have served decades unknown to the world but known to God. And I heard this missionary who is retiring after 40 years and in his youth he was a great baseball player. Incredible baseball player. And he was actively recruited by professional teams and his life's goal and he had the skills was to be in Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame. But just as he was about to enter into that career, the Lord spoke to his heart about his call on his life for mission. And in particular about serving on the mission field. And he struggled, struggled. But he said, Lord, your way, your will. And so he surrendered to go to the mission field. And he went and served for 40 years. Not long before he retired, in Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame decided they would like to have a display that highlighted the impact and the joy of baseball for youth over the decades. And they found a picture from a town in the Midwest of two boys in a baseball game in their uniforms with a smile of joy on their faces. And one of those boys was that missionary. And he was put in the Hall of Fame. He's in two halls of fame. He's in the hall of fame, yes, in Cooperstown, but he's in the hall of fame of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, the sermon is, is uh, not over, but I think the message stops here, okay? We'll start here next week, but I think we should just stop right here. Yes, time is gone, and I'll have a running start for next Sunday when the folks get back from Bristol. <laughs> but I want to tell you, 
you got to decide where you want your hall of fame to be. Because the greatest hall of fame is in the place of honor from the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, well done, right? Lord, I pray now you'll bless this word to our hearts. I pray now that we will give glory to you. You are a great and awesome God. You are worthy of all praise. Lord Jesus, we are your people, your sheep. You are our great shepherd. And I pray for us as pastors and people that we might delight ourselves in you. Delight ourselves in you and might truly know the life that is life. Loving God, loving people, impacting the world. In your name, God's people said,